<clears throat> Check to make sure everything is rolling. All right, I'm gonna give a five second countdown and then we will start. And life with Michael Levitt will begin. <laughs> so ready? Let's five, go. Five, four, three, two, one, pause. Michael Levitt is my guest today. Have you ever wondered if someone else has burnout? We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks as we think about going back to work, but this phenomena of burnout has not just happened because of the quarantine. It's just been silent prior to this particular time. Now everybody is talking about it. And so I wanted to bring you some answers around, so what is burnout? Why should you care? How do you know that you may be suffering from burnout or one of your colleagues should be, are suffering from burnout? And as importantly, if you're a leader or somebody in HR, what's your role in helping to support your team to create that high performance, inclusive, inclusive workplace? So to, today I've got Michael Levitt and he is the founder and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network. We're gonna to have to ask what the chief burnout officer does. It's a, Sandy, the, it's a San Diego and Toronto-based burnout media firm. He, is the in per, he has an in-person and certified, um, Paroma, I'm gonna start over. So five, four, three, two, one. Michael Levitt is the founder and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network a San Diego and Toronto-based burnout media firm. We're definitely gonna to have to dig into what does that, what does a burnout media firm do? He is an in-person and certified virtual speaker, a cognitive behavioral therapist, a Fortune 500 consultant, and the author of the new book, Burnout Proof. With that, let me welcome Michael to the show. Great to be with you today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, absolutely. It is the topic of the day, this thing called burnout. But, you know, as I talk to executives and people around, we all have this like idea of what burnout is, like I'm too tired, um, I can't do anymore, but I'm not sure that that's really what burnout is. So how would you know either you have it or someone you're, you're working with or one of your loved ones is really dealing with burnout? I like using the World Health Organization's definition of burnout, and they released this a couple of years ago uh, when they identified burnout as a, a workplace phenomenon and mm. issued an ICD code for it. When the World Health Organization issues an ICD code, having worked in healthcare for as long as I did, that's a pretty big deal. So they recognize that burnout is a huge issue. Their definition of burnout is it's a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion that is caused by excessive and prolonged stress. Mm. This pandemic has been prolonged. It has been stressful. That's why we're seeing so many cases of burnout. It happens when you're overwhelmed, when you're physically and mentally drained, and you feel overwhelmed by all the things in life that you are asked to do. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing that. And I think everyone is probably nodding when they hear this and they're saying, yep, I have a thought or potentially that I'm burned out. The Hartford Insurance Company, for example, did a recent study of employees and 61% identified as being burned out. 61%? 
61%. We have a wow. pandemic within a pandemic. Yeah. This is really problematic and it's getting the attention finally of executives, HR leaders and whatnot, because when you have six out of 10 of your employees flirting with burnout, that is going to impact productivity. Uh, you're going to see more absenteeism. You may see people going out on sick leave or mental leave, or they may just leave. And that can be devastated to your organization to lose key people. So it's, it's obviously a huge problem. And I'm glad that you acknowledged that this is something that's been around for a while. Uh, Dr. Herbert Friedenberger wrote a book called Burnout. It was published in 1980. Oh, wow. but he started doing this work in 1974. Yeah. Burnout is not new. Yeah. But it's been amplified by this pandemic and, and all the challenges that many of us have been facing. Michael, I, you know, you said so much in that. I want to unpack a little bit of it before we move too far down the line here. One of the things that you mentioned is, is that you believe that the pandemic has just exacerbated burnout for all of us. And 61% from the Hartford um, study say that people are, are either feeling like they're burned out or flirting with burnout, that they feel like they're burned out. I know that there's a conversation out there that says a number, the reason why a lot of people are not going back to work is because of the unemployment insurance and that they can make more money staying home. But as I look into this um, idea of burnout, I'm not sure that people aren't making the decision that they don't wanna go back because they're burnt out and they have a way out. And it may, and we may be not looking at the root cause of why people are feeling, particularly women who have to deal, be the, you know, go out and earn some money for the household. They may be the single head of household, but they've got kids or they're caregivers. Mm -hmm. 26 million um, people are in this idea of, you know, they are actively a caregiver. They're either taking care of their kids, their, their grandparents, um, or they're taking care of their parents themselves. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this has always been around. This idea of burnout has always been around. Is, is the result that people are checking out because they're burned out? Or is there you know, some credence about people are looking at their bills saying, hey, you know what? I can take some leave now. I can disengage at least one thing. And this is a coping strategy. And I don't really want to work. I, does that sound like a, a good theory or do you have any research around that or what? Oh, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of studies that have been done in, you know, with this pandemic, NordVPN did a study in 2020 and indicated that Americans on average were working 20% more hours mm. after the pandemic than before. What they basically did is they traded their commute time uh, to work time mm -hmm. and toss in the fact that so many people became full-time school teachers during the pandemic as well. And we all know that the school time tends to coincide with many people's working days. So yeah. what that forced was, you know, these blocks of time when you could work and blocks of time where you're helping your kids to make sure that they're attending to their schoolwork and not playing on their PlayStation five. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's those challenges have come in and we've also seen, uh, and there's been studies done where there's been, I don't want to call it a mass exodus, but it's definitely alarming in the number of females 
that have decided that they're not going back to work. Right, right, they're going, right. They're staying home. And that's because of a variety of different things that, you know, taking care of the kids, they recognize that the rat race, for lack of a better term, that they were doing is not fulfilling to them anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This brought to light a lot of issues, a lot of micromanaging issues. We hear the phrase Zoom fatigue, for example. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of times Zoom fatigue is driven by management that, and with all due respect to managers and leaders, I have been one, I, you know, I, I respect my colleagues, but there are a lot of micromanaging leaders and managers out there that say you need to be connected a full eight to 10 hours a day on Zoom. Do not disconnect. Make sure you're on camera and all of that kind of stuff. That demonstrates a lack of trust from the employer to the employee. Mm-hmm. And a lot of managers freaked out with the fact that their teams were not going to be in the office. They were going to be at home. And everybody mm-hmm. had this fear that everybody was going to be sitting on the couch, yeah. watching Netflix, not doing their work. Uh, well, the opposite has actually happened. There's been so many people that have been stressed and burned out yeah. because they're working longer hours to quote unquote, prove that they're actually working. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a, a big communication gap. There's, there's been a communication issue between management and employees for a long time. Uh, like I said, burnout is not new. We were on the path to burnout for a lot of people in this uh, pandemic amplified it. When we first started into the pandemic, mm-hmm. I thought that, okay, finally people are going to pop it into neutral, to use a car term, and kind of coast a little bit and relax and say, okay, let's focus on what our priorities are in work. And the opposite, unfortunately, happened. More right, they kicked it into more. high gear. Yeah, exactly. They, they, you know, they they stepped on the pedal even more, even though they it was already flat to the the floor already, and um, it's not sustainable. And that's why we're seeing the numbers we're seeing because that type of work is not sustainable. There's just too many things being delegated. Uh, there's not enough resources uh, and a, a whole other of things and that are coming into play. And a lack of boundaries on when people are working and when they shouldn't be working. And that's one of the big things that, that leads to burnout is just you, know, you, you don't set time barriers around when you work and when you don't. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because I, I love what you said about, you know, you thought that the people were going to hit the pause button or pop it into neutral. And what happened was, is the opposite. They popped it in high gear and left it there, kind of forgot it. And I think it's because the unanticipated consequences of shutting down caused everyone to be at home. And where we normally have relief of thinking about when we're at work, we're not taking care of our kids. Someone else is taking care of our kids, either daycare or teachers are taking care of that. When I'm at work, you know, our parents are, you know, I take care of my parents. Many of my listeners know that I take care of my parents, my mother right now. Um, there's, they, I can take her to adult daycare and that gives me some relief during the day. Well, when everything shut down, I became chief cook, bottle washer, caretaker, business owner, you know, the whole gambit became one and I still only have 24 hours and eight of them I have to sleep or at least six. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not good to anyone. Right. And, but it made me start thinking personally, and I'd love to hear your story of 
you know, I think burnout is kind of a silent thing that creeps up on you because you get so much noise about go, 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 keep going. You know, there's even in, you know, small business, small to mid-sized businesses, there's this whole mantra of keep going because, you know, most successful business owners, all they did was stay one more time and then they hit success. Well, the problem is, is you don't know where that one more time is. And when I talk to some of my nonprofits, I, I say, are you in the rescue business? Which means you allow people to fall off the cliff. Once they hit the bottom of the cliff, then you pick them up. Or are you in the prevention business, which helps people stop? Can you talk about how you got interested in this? What was your story? And what were some of the signs that you missed mm-hmm. before you or maybe your clients or some of the companies before they fell off the cliff. Yeah, my burnout journey uh, took place uh, between 2009 and 2010. It actually started in 2007 that led Mm -hmm. into what I like to refer to as my year of worst case scenarios. So in 2007, I was hired as a healthcare executive just outside of Windsor, Ontario, across the border from Detroit, Michigan. That's an important fact that I'll share in a moment. I was working from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week. Wow. And it was a new role. It was a startup, and anybody that runs their own business or launches a new business knows that there's some long hours. But I was an employee. I wasn't the owner of the business mm-hmm. but, or the clinic, but I was acting as if I was. Yeah. I had a very proactive board of directors um, that had a lot of input on things. They were not a governance board. They were an operational board, which I wish they would have said that in the beginning. I would have probably reconsidered uh, a lot of things in life. But none, nonetheless, those long hours um, were coupled with not taking care of myself. And my nutrition plan, basically, for most of the time in that two-year span was breakfast, lunch, and dinner, ordering food through a microphone, driving around the corner, paying for it and getting handed a brown bag, Mm. not nutrition, not at all. Mm. And as far as exercise and activity, when you're an executive or the boss of a business, historically, you tend to get the really close parking spot. Yeah. Um, And so that means I wasn't getting in any type of extra steps to speak of. And our clinic was small, so it wasn't, you know, walking around a lot. Uh, So needless to say, was not exercising at all, mm-hmm. uh, putting on weight. Mm-hmm. And I stopped doing things in life that I enjoyed doing. Mm. I, was a, I was a season ticket holder for the Detroit Tigers. I love baseball. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I used to go to the games all the time and became a season ticket holder. And with the package, the tickets were paid for, my parking was paid for, and I had food and beer vouchers. All I had to do was show up, wow, enjoy yeah. the game, Everything was paid for already. Concierge service it was amazing. I quit going. Oh, um, and that hurts just hearing that. Yeah, it, I quit going. You know, lost lost opportunity on things. And that's when the Tigers were decent. You know, they went to the World Series over a couple times over a period of time. So they were a great team to watch, a lot of yeah. fun, but I just quit going. It all came to a crashing halt in May of 2009, where over a period of 369 days, so just over a year, the following things happened to me. I had a heart attack that should have killed me. (gasps) I lost my job during the Great Recession. My car was repossessed and my home was foreclosed. Oh, no. All in a year. And all those things happened because I was burned out. Mm -hmm. They were the result. 
they were the result. Me not taking care of myself, me making mistakes at work, me not focusing on my health, me not doing things in life that I enjoy doing, which is self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, doing things in life you enjoy is self-care. Yes, mm-hmm. yoga, meditation, moments of Zen. Sure, those are all good too if you like doing those things, but reading a book or going to baseball games or concerts or doing things with your friends or mm-hmm. swimming, golfing, hiking, all the things in life that people enjoy doing, that's self-care. And yeah. I wasn't doing any of that. Yeah, yeah. And and it it came again to a crashing halt. You know, when when your cardiologist is about to put two stents in your left interior descending artery, which has a nickname in cardiology, it's called the widow maker. Mm. Because typically when you have blockages in that artery and you have a heart attack, statistically speaking, you die. Well, oh here, here we are, May of 2021. I'm still here. So I'm very thankful and fortunate for that. And it's one of those things where, but that was a wake up call. And that was before everything else that, you know, took place, you know, losing your job during the great recession. And again, being across the border from Detroit, GM Ford and Chrysler were on their last legs. They were about to go out of business. So there wasn't any jobs to be found. So it did require a relocation. And the reason why the car and the house situation came about was when you're on unemployment, which I know a lot of people are right now during this pandemic. And now you have to take heart medication that costs a thousand dollars a month Mm -hmm. and you have no drug insurance coverage. You have a choice, food and medication or pay your car payment and pay your mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. Well, needless to say, I wanted to live and I had to feed my family as well. So it was a obviously a very challenging time. And, you know, we had worked with our, our creditors and they were aware of the situation and they did give us, you know, a pretty lengthy grace period, but unfortunately that grace period ran out and, you know, they exercised their right. And I'm not mad at them. Um, one of the banks I, I still deal with today, I have accounts with them. I'm, I, I, didn't, I didn't blame the bank. Uh, it wasn't their fault. It was mine. Mm-hmm. And after going through all of those things, mm-hmm. I recognized that I was given a second chance mm-hmm. and I was very fortunate to have that opportunity, but I knew that unless I made some significant adjustments in my life that, you know, there's a good chance that that would have happened again. And I want to frame something real quick. 99.9% of the people that burn out or are burning out do not need to reinvent their life. Mm-hmm. They don't. Mm-hmm. I did because mm-hmm. the way that I was living, but most people, it's simple adjustments. And, you know, I'd love to, you know, share some of those adjustments you can do in life to make sure that uh, you can stop your burnout. Uh, yeah. I, 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 that's a fabulous story there because it really brought home to me that the loss of the house and the car and the heart attack actually wasn't a sign of burnout. It was the result of burnout. And I think too often we don't really focus on what causes burnout. And, and as, you know, particularly as Americans, we are terrible about managing chronic disease. And chronic disease is about changing your behavior when it counts, right? It's, exactly. not, it's not waiting too late to do that. And, I, no. and all the things that you were talking about all sound like chronic kinds of issues. We developed these habits that led to the fact that you lost these these precious things in your life from going to see a baseball game to probably spending time with your family to 
doing things that you love, you put them all on hold, you paused on that versus trying to think about what you could do in your life. So tell us, so now you've got my attention. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't realize what could happen out of this. I just thought burnout was going to be I'm fatigued and can't get up out of the bed or I'm a little snappy with my family. What are some of the things that would really let me know that I'm, I'm on a path mm-hmm. to being burnt out? And what can I do about that? Well, you mentioned one uh, just a couple seconds ago about, you know, a little more snappy or irritable with family or mm-hmm. friends and colleagues or bosses and things like that. That's definitely a sign that is common is you, people are irritable uh, and things set you off uh, mm-hmm. that shouldn't, that normally don't. And you know, when you're under extreme stress, um, the little things seem big. And that is definitely a sign you have to watch out for. Other signs that I see often, again, you know, all came with me, but I see it in people and the teams that I work with as well, is people, they're kind of in a daze and a little bit of foggy headed. So that impacts their ability to make decisions, or maybe they start making more mistakes, Mm -hmm. or they're forgetful. They Mm -hmm. just, they're not themselves. Their, their head is in a little fog and they, they lack clarity and they just, they're just uh, in, in a difficult situation a big warning sign too, and we're seeing more and more studies on this as well, is how critically important sleep is in Mm. order to prevent stress. Because when you get good sleep, you know, good restful sleep, that means we're repairing the damage that we do to ourselves on a daily basis. And we damage ourselves with the food we eat, the air we breathe, the information that we consume. Okay. It's, It's been stressful in the U.S., for a bit now, when it comes to the pandemic, we're not that far removed from a presidential election, which was very stressful. Doesn't matter what party you voted for or support. It was a stressful period of time. Yeah, and, yeah. and I know for many people, it still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then toss in a pandemic, the loss of life, not being able to do things, things are closed, the masks, all the things that have been you know, problematic for a lot of people. You know, that has definitely um, added stress to the world. And when you have this stress and you're working long hours and you don't have self-care built into your days, which means doing things you, know, you like doing, um, you, you crash into bed, you toss and turn, you don't sleep well. And then that means today's damage that was supposed to get repaired when you get sleep didn't get repaired. So what happens that piles on to tomorrow's damage and stress. And mm-hmm. then the next day and the next day, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why you could end up with clogged arteries and, okay. and, get, and get to meet a cardiologist and, yeah. and, and know what Coversil and uh, Crestor and Lipitor are. And you start getting all of these names and milligrams and you're going, wait a minute, I'm, I'm 40 years old. Why should I be taking heart medication? Yeah. Uh, I or was migraines. Four- or migraines you know, the or of migraines. Yeah. You, you start, you know, running into things, you get hypertension, high yeah. blood pressure, which then can lead to strokes, which can lead to, you know, you all of a sudden you have a stroke and all of a sudden you lose mobility. Yeah. And or you, cognitive. Yeah. You may not be able to do your job anymore. Yeah. And then your Just, life really changes. Yeah. Then, then you, then you have, instead of being a caregiver, you're being cared for. Mm-hmm. And it happens too often. And that's why burnout scares me. Again, I, I know what it tastes like. I know what it looks like. 
Uh, and I, thankfully I've not been burned out since because I know the signs and I know what I need to do to make sure that I get a good night's sleep, that mm -hmm. I eat the right foods for me. I know what foods I have intolerances to. So I avoid those. Mm -hmm. I make sure that my schedule is not overloaded mm -hmm. and, and prioritized. And you can do that whether you work for somebody or you're your own boss. It, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't need to be an either or equation. Well, it's interesting, it, you know, there's a couple things that you talked about um, that I'd love to capture. But before I do that, let's talk a little bit about why should a man, all what we've been talking about right now is really about me taking care of me and me avoiding burnout. Mm -hmm. But we don't live in a culture that supports me taking care of me for many people, right? Because we're at the edge. We, we just have grown up that, you know, taking care of yourself is weak. You're supposed to take care of somebody else. I mean, we've got this training over years that says, give, give, give. Why should a manager or HR even care about burnout? It's critical for performance. Mm -hmm. And 2020 is the first year in, in talking with insurance companies. And I've done some work with insurance companies a long, long time ago. I actually worked for an independent insurance agency a long time ago. But one of the things that's happened and organizations are going to see this this year in their insurance renewals is a pretty significant spike in mental health claims. Oh, okay. and, and it's going to impact the bottom line. Uh, because your rates are going to go up because your employees are dealing with stress. When the Hartford comes up with 61% of people are burning out, there's a good chance that a portion of those, one, are going to their doctors and either they're getting you know referred to some mental health counseling or, and I'm not a big fan of this, having worked in healthcare for over a decade, I'm not a big fan of, you know, writing a prescription, but mm -hmm. for some people they need that for the short term type mm -hmm. of situation. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, medication costs and drug costs, which your plan is paying for, which means your, your claims are going up, which means your rates are going to go up. So it's going to impact the bottom line of every organization mm -hmm. unless they address it. So that's first and foremost, you know, your, your finance department's going to let you know, okay, there's an issue here because our, our premiums just went way up this yeah. year for some reason. It's important to, from a performance standpoint, absenteeism, people going out on medical leave. I know mm -hmm. an organization, they had almost 30% of their team go out on stress leave. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're like, what's going on? It's like, well, maybe ask those employees. And it turns out that there were two or three key directors that were emailing their staff all day and all night and on weekends. Mm -hmm. And uh, case in point, this was over the Christmas holiday. Mm -hmm. you know, the CEO of this organization assigned a big project to the team. Mm -hmm. And he said, but it's the holidays. Don't, you know, don't work on this, but it's due December 26th. And it's going to take you, it's going to take you three or four days to put it together. Do the math there, people. Yeah. December 26th and December 25th are one day apart. Yeah. And that's the kind of mentality that we have out there with some leaders. Yeah. I, I hope that the organizations that are listening to the show are not in that boat, but if you are, 
yeah, look at it because you're, you're burning your teams out and expecting them to respond. Because if, if your CEO or your senior leadership are sending out emails all day and all night and on weekends, your team is going to mimic that behavior. And also because they fear that they have to. Mm-hmm. A lot of the strong leaders, and I've seen this, I'm um, not a lot, but I'm starting to see this a little bit saying, you know, there's a auto signature at the bottom of the email. Just because this email was sent after hours does not mean I expect you to respond to me until the next business day. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an amazing signature that every executive and senior leader yeah. and manager should have. Yeah. yeah. M- more importantly to those leaders, don't send the email after hours or right. on weekends. Right, right, right. Save it and draft. Or there's a lot of tools now that you can schedule it. Schedule right. it. Schedule it at if your workday starts at 9 a.m., have it arrive at 9:16 a.m. Mm-hmm. Don't bombard everybody with 9 a.m. emails right off the bat. You know, sprinkle it out, um, and that will help because your employees mimic what the leadership are doing. So if the leadership are living a life that is structured, has boundaries around work and non-working, that will flow down to the rest of the organization. If you've got executives that are putting in 16 or 18 hour days, uh, that's going to be catastrophic for your organization. And I think this pandemic has brought that to light. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how this is all going to play out over the coming years, because I think people realize this is not sustainable. And as an employee, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because the way you describe the leader who's driving burnout in this organization is also mimicking a path to burnout for themselves. So yeah, from an HR yeah. point of view, that should be a red flag and saying, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do, do our values and our organization say that we're going to be a hard charging, push everybody, burn them out, pay the cost and benefits, or are we going to be an organization that is managing people like we manage products? We don't miswrap of, you know, our products or our services. When our customers come in, we expect them to get delightful customer service. When we send out products, we expect them to be wrapped in boxes and, 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 and wrapping that really protects them. Well, if the leader's not role modeling and taking care of themselves, because if you're 16 hours sending out emails, 16, 17 hours a day, you can't be taking care of yourself. No. <laughs> you can't yeah. be doing things that are helpful for yourself. And that should be a red flag to HR. It is. And I know sometimes it's very difficult for HR to approach the CEO and say, hey, could you lay off the gas a little bit? Delicate conversation for sure. But we've seen the science and the statistics of you know the level of productivity that you can get out of a, a truck, a classic eight-hour workday. We're seeing productivity levels less than four hours a day now. And there's reasons behind that. Now, a lot of people say, we need to get eight hours of productivity. That will never happen unless you are an assembly line. And the biggest problem, and being from Detroit, I don't like bad-mouthing Henry Ford, and and I won't. However, the assembly line industrial age of how things are put together Oh yeah, have never and should have never been applied to the office setting. Yeah, but they were. Yeah, and it shouldn't be that way. That's yeah. why 
working from home, working remotely, all of these things where people can actually work without interruption Mm -hmm. in time blocks, they're going to get a lot more done in less time. Now, of course, everybody says, well, look, we've got all that extra capacity and we can add another three or four hours of work to them. Don't. The reason why you don't want to is you're robbing your employees and the organization what I like to call creative time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Think I was about say that. Think about of all all the inventions, right? Post-it notes, for example. Right. We've all used them. We've all loved them. That was an accident. Yeah. They were trying to make this glue, and and that was kind. Of, you know, it was weird, and they're like, well, you know what? You know, it works on this paper where you can take it off and put it back on again. It you know doesn't ruin what it sticks to, but mm-hmm. it'll hold it. And next thing you know, they create post-it notes. Yeah. Well, you know, 3M has done pretty well on those. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was something that happened because of creativity and just playing around with things. We don't give our employees time to play. And yeah. I'm not saying play by, you know, pulling out the PlayStation 5 at the office or watching Netflix or anything like that. It's looking at what are we doing that could be applied to other parts of our work? How can we how, solve the how, problem? How did that project work? I worked for one organization. It was a Fortune 500 company. In all the years that I've worked, they were the only one, and they, we did project work in that mm-hmm. division. They were the only one that at the end of every project, they brought the entire project team together and key people from other projects. And we had a debrief. And yeah. we had what went well, what really stunk what Mm -hmm. didn't work Mm -hmm. what did we learn that we could go back and work on another project that would have been better or new lessons and things like that and because they did that Mm -hmm. they were they improved efficiency on their projects by 20 Mm percent now 20 percent you know, it doesn't seem like a huge percentage, but here's the deal. Because of those efficiencies, they were able to streamline the number of people that worked on a particular project. Mm-hmm. They didn't lay them off. Mm-hmm. They, were able they, to take, them. they were able to take on more clients, which yeah. means they generated more revenue. Yeah. There's opportunities to find. Everybody's like, well, we got to get more sales, more sales, more sales. Me being an originally, my original career was public accounting. Mm-hmm. So everybody's chasing. We got to get more sales. Got to get more sales. Look at your expense items. Mm -hmm. Look for efficiencies in there. Mm -hmm. You can find, quite frankly, in many cases, a lot more revenue opportunities in your expenses than in your sales. And when you do that and you get more efficient, it gives you the capacity to grow and expand, which will take care of your sales and revenue. So give your teams the ability to have some elbow room in their work. You'll get better productivity out of them. I think the, you know, one of the best things I learned from leaders and, and people know from previous podcasts as well as others, my story around, I was blessed to have worked with probably some of the smartest and best leaders in the world. And one of the things I have one that had um, once a month, we had to come to the staff meeting and it was our, now I call it bloopers. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the biggest mistake that you made during the month? And we had to talk about it. And mm-hmm. what did we learn from it? And, you know, everybody, no one wants to tell the CEO <laughs> what was your biggest blooper. But I, I think that the fact that we, it, was, it contributed to creating an environment where making mistakes wasn't a punishment in and of itself. And it helped people size and create boundaries and information around 
what mistakes were acceptable, which mistakes weren't, didn't drive them into closet, but it also gave, just like you just said, an opportunity for some really new and original thinking to come, come forward and for us to figure out how to solve problems in a different way. You know, one of my favorite leaders who I had the uh, great fortune of meeting a couple of years ago is Alan Mulally. Mm-hmm. He's the former CEO of Boeing and then also Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm. And I met great with Great leader. Him. He's got a yeah. couple of book, good books. Yeah. Well, you know, his work at Ford saved Ford Motor Company, quite mm-hmm. frankly, because they were the one out of GM, Ford and Chrysler that didn't get, didn't have to file bankruptcy and, and didn't right. get um, a ton of government assistance. That's right. The reason being is... When he started there, you know, he, he had the team reports mm-hmm. and all the team reports were pretty and they look great. We're doing all these things, but it wasn't lining up with what the finance department was saying. Right. And, and finally, he's like, people, you're going to have to share the bad news. Right. I know there's bad news here somewhere. And then finally, the next week, one of the directors had the guts to finally go, uh, it's time for some truth. And he put it you know, out there and it was a spreadsheet, sea of red. Mm-hmm. Malali stood up and applauded mm-hmm. and said, thank you for you know, sharing the truth information. The next team meeting, everybody came in with their red spreadsheets and he goes, okay, now we know exactly where we stand. Right, let's, right. let's start working on the one way, the Ford way to you know, get through this. And they right. did. Right. And if that didn't happen, they probably it yeah, it they would have been, been just like everybody else, right? It would have been a different story, it's and different. they still may not have you know been able to dig out of it at this point. But you know, the way that he leads and has led organizations, you know, it was it was great to have you know a few minutes talking with him uh, at a, an event, and you know, of course, me being from Detroit too, originally, you know, I, I had skin in the game and you know knew what it was like during that time frame because yeah, yeah. I was down in that region, so. Again, leaders should encourage, and I love that example of, you know, from one of the leaders you worked with. It's like, okay, let's see the bad news. What, yeah. what happened? What did you learn from it? Yeah. You know, John Maxwell, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And those learning opportunities, those challenges, those stumbles, those falling on your face, those burning out and losing everything right. can be a building block for the better version of you that you know is in you. And don't, don't look uh, a tragedy, you know, in the mouth and and don't do anything with it. There's opportunities um, to reframe it. Exactly. Exactly. I I have to ask, you know, we're, we're at the close now. Tell us how people can get a hold of you and, you know, one nugget from burnout proof that people can walk away with. Yeah, best way to find me, breakfastleadership.com, or I'm on most of the social media channels under the letter B and then fast leadership, or they can look up hashtag breakfast leadership and they should be able to find me there. Uh, in my book, Burnout Proof, one nugget. Um, I, basically, I, in the book, I, I have several chapters where I broke out the word burnout and I associated a word with every letter in there. Okay. And I think of all those letters, um, the N, neglect. Mm-hmm. When you don't take care of yourself and you don't do things in life that are good for you, mm-hmm. you're neglecting yourself, which impacts every aspect of your life, your relationships, mm-hmm. your health, your ability to do a great job at work or whatever you do. 
don't neglect yourself. Take care of yourself first. No one else will. You have to take care of yourself first. And when you do that, then you are a more full and wholesome version of you, which means everything you do is going to be better. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing it with my audience. Well, folks, you know what it is. It's that time. It's time for us to say it's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Also, I want you to understand that if you're an HR professional and it's coming up, I have a class, a master class called Leading Through Disruption. This is a time where you will have an opportunity to work with and network with other leaders, HR leaders in particular, to hone your ability to have conversations that help change, as Michael said, that CEO or that executive's behavior where they're on a track for burnout for themselves, but they're also on a track for burning out their entire team, lowering productivity. And more importantly, the one thing I heard was such a wonderful nugget, diminishing creativity and the ability to solve complex problems in your organization. With that, you can hear this on Spotify. You can hear it on Apple. Of course, we are a member of the C-Suite Network, the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders. And with that, see you next week, guys. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.